you've probably picked up by now that I quite like the image of the ranger, Strider, as he is first introduced in The Lord of the Rings. This idea of travelling on foot through the world on a sense of adventure. And in my life that adventure has taken a very spiritual dimension, such that this podcast is an archive of my sermons from what I've called the Pilgrim Path, that spiritual journey which we're all on, offering reflections on the gospel which gives us hope. Yet it wasn't until the week leading up to this particular sermon, which you're about to hear, that I actually undertook a proper pilgrimage. Now, this pilgrimage wasn't on an established route. It wasn't the El Camino, it wasn't to Rome or to Jerusalem, or even to Walsingham. But it was from the church where I was serving my curacy, to a cathedral in which I was ordained a 28-mile journey where I stopped off at 19 different churches to pray for people who had requested prayer and to raise money for our team of churches. It was a genuinely profound experience, if not exhausting. You will hear more about it during the sermon, but I would just like at this point to say thank you for all of your support for those of you that listen to these episodes, and I hope that you find it encouraging. If you are listening to this episode in a new podcast app, one which is compatible with Podcasting 2.0, if you look at this episode as it is playing, you'll be able to see a variety of pictures along the way from the day. If you can't, then may I suggest you go to newpodcastapps.com and you should be able to find something which will work if not listen to my reflections just a couple of days later. As this is probably the first sermon which truly is from the Pilgrim Path. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It is good to return to this place, to be with each of you, having been here on Wednesday as I set off on my pilgrimage to Norwich Cathedral. Many of you will have heard that it was happening, and I know that some of you followed my progress on the day via the website or on Twitter. But for those who hadn't heard, on Wednesday the 9th of June, I set out from St. Mary's Disc after a very early morning prayer with Canon Tony Billet and my wife Linnea, and set out on my way to the Cathedral Church of Norwich. It was, for me, a pilgrimage from the team of churches where I've had the honour and joy of serving my curacy to the place of my ordination, first as a deacon and then as a priest in the Church of England, the timing of which has been particularly significant as I come towards the end of my curacy and begin to look towards the future. It was an idea that came to mind as I, like so many others, found real solace during the most restrictive moments of lockdown in the practice of taking a daily walk. 
There was something to the rhythmic plodding of exploring local footpaths, which I found helped to keep me both physically, mentally and spiritually sane and well during that time. Gradually, my walks extended from three miles to five to ten and twelve, and as I walked, I found the idea of this pilgrimage grew on me, and I became resolved to make the trip. I could simply have done it, but I wanted to make it as much of a pilgrimage as I could make it. I wanted to imbue it with prayer. And so plotted a route which included as many churches as I could along the way. With Tony's support and encouragement, this was offered as a sponsored walk for the benefit of the whole disc team ministry of all of our eleven churches. And I'm pleased to share that so far we have raised in excess of seventeen hundred pounds. Thank you to each of you who have supported this financially, and if you'd still like to contribute, you can do so via Jan in the office. I'd also like to note that we've had well wishes and financial supporters from people all across the county, across the country, and indeed around the world, with almost half of the online giving coming from people in America. I also offered this. Day as an opportunity for people to be included in my prayers while I walked, I was thrilled and honoured by the responses which I had, and I wrote them in this notebook which I carried with me. I had about twenty pages of names and specific prayer requests, and this worked well because as I walked along, I was going past about twenty churches, and so I was able to read names while walking. But also to pray through a page of names at each church that I passed. I started here at Dis and went on through our new sister churches in the parishes of Burston, Gissing, and Tivitsall. At each church, I was welcomed by the church wardens and provided with a much appreciated drink of water. For Wednesday, as you might have noticed, turned out to be a gloriously sunny and rather hot. Day. You'll see by where Ellie is sitting at the lectern that I put out my boots, my staff, and my cloak, which I wore for this journey.、And、this journey continued on to Aslacton, which had been left unlocked for me, before going on to Fawnsett St Peter and Fawnsett St Mary's, where I was joined by their priest, the Reverend Lydia Avery. Who accompanied me as far as her church at Hapton, where I was met by a small delegation of church wardens, as well as the Bishop of Norwich. We shared a picnic lunch together on the village green before saying a prayer in St Margaret's Church. The bishop and I then walked on to the church at Flawden together, and I was appreciative of his time and support for this pilgrimage. Flawden represented something of a turning point in my walk. Up until then, I had been walking paths which I had already explored, and I had people providing me along the way with water and food as I went. Now I was by myself, trusting a map which claimed that there were footpaths which would take me on to the cathedral, and most importantly. 
I had three bottles of water left to get me to the edge of Norwich, where I would be able to buy more. I sat for a while in the shade, in a field of sheep, with my boots off, and then I picked myself up and headed off into the unknown. As Paul writes in our Corinthians reading this morning, we are always confident, for we walk by faith and not by sight. One of the daunting elements about walking where you've not been before is that you don't have the same sense of perspective as to how close you are to the next waypoint, to the next church. At this point, I was about 16 miles in. It was about half two in the afternoon. The sun was hot overhead, and I had been on the move for seven hours. I walked and walked along the edges of large open fields, staff in hand and grateful for my cloak for keeping the sun off. Incidentally, I didn't get sunburnt at all, thanks to wearing that cloak. Occasionally, I would pass through a copse of trees, pausing in the shade for some water before pressing on. And then I stood in front of a large yellow field full of rapeseed crop. Beyond it, in the distance, I could see a church. But what I couldn't see at first was the path that the map claimed would be there. Looking more carefully, I realized that there was a slight green ripple tracing its way through the middle of the yellow sea of crops. And I realized that the crop had grown up and over the path, and clearly no one had walked it in a very long time. I looked at the maps, and to go around via the roads and lanes would add another mile or more onto my route. And so I braced myself and dove into the field, wading through the thick sea of crops along the path. And there was a path. My feet found a strip of ground about a foot and a half wide, where no crops were coming up. But I could only feel with my feet that it was clear as I pushed through shoulder-high crops woven thick as treacle before me. Halfway across, I wondered what it must look like to someone watching, if I were to look over and see this red-hooded figure pushing through a sea of yellow. Eventually, and I mean eventually, I made it to the other side and was able to push through a stinging nettle-infested passageway into the churchyard of St. Nicholas's Bracken Ash. I had similar such mini-adventures as I made my way on to East Carleton and Intwood, before crossing first the A47, and then the railway tracks, which seemed to mark the boundary of the edge of the outskirts of Norwich, as I headed in first to Cringleford and then to Eton. I made it to the Waitrose at Eton, with two mouthfuls of water left to spare, and was glad to resupply before pushing on past St. Andrews, Christchurch, Holy Trinity, St. Stephen, St. Peter Mancroft, and the sudden plethora of little churches which are scattered between the city centre and the cathedral. Linnea joined me somewhere between Holy Trinity and Chapelfield Gardens, and she can testify that at that point, having walked more than a marathon, I was walking really rather slowly indeed. 
she asked if I wanted to sit and have a rest. I at no point was afraid that I couldn't make it. I knew that I could get to the cathedral. But I was afraid that if I stopped and sat down, I might never get back up and going again. Almost twelve hours and some twenty-seven and a half miles after I had set out from Dis, the cathedral was around the corner. I was able to pick up my pace a bit and stride to the cathedral, reaching out to place my hand upon the large wooden door. I had arrived. We were welcomed in by the dean and together said some prayers kneeling at the altar rail before lighting a candle for all of those in our parishes or who had requested prayer. Even in this talk, it's hard for me to describe in a tangible way the details of the physical side of this journey. How then can I capture the spiritual aspect to express what I felt in my heart and thoughts? I carried my notebook in my pocket, regularly opening it while walking to be reminded of people and situations to pray for. In my right hand I carried my hiking staff, except for briefly when I forgot it at Burston Church and had to go back to collect it. This led my mind several times to remember the line, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, and to recite Psalm 23 as best as I could from my memory. And whilst I'm sure that we all recognize that that line is referring to the discipline of the Lord being good for us, by the end of this walk, I was dependent on that staff to help propel myself forwards. A real comfort, indeed. I was mindful always of my motivation behind this pilgrimage, but it was an expression of worship born out of a response to what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus on the cross. Indeed, I spent a lot of time reflecting on the physicality of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is not just abstract moral teachings, which we have all agreed are good and nice and pleasant and worthy of remembering and imitating so that we might call ourselves good people. It is the reality that Jesus is a real human being. He and his disciples would walk all around Judea before heading on to Jerusalem. And in a sense, all pilgrimages are a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, whether it's a 28-mile walk to Norwich or a five-minute walk here to this church. When we make our pilgrim way to church, we make our way to the place of remembering Christ's death and resurrection. Likewise, Jesus' sufferings and pains were very real pains. When I found myself struggling, my feet sore, my back aching, my legs stung, scratched or chafing, I realized afresh that Christ bore so much more for us when he was beaten, when he carried his cross and when he was crucified. If he was prepared to endure such pain for our sake, I could push through and keep on going to glorify him. As Paul says, we make it our aim to please him. 
And this is the same Paul who, in our readings last week, we heard talking about being afflicted, but not crushed, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This theme of faith, living through suffering and difficulty, is something which we sometimes forget. We look for God to take away our pain and adversity, rather than rejoicing in his presence with us in the midst of it, even though in Christ that's exactly what he has done for us. The peace of God, such peace that the world cannot give, is not necessarily a freedom from death and pain, but rather a freedom to life and hope, a light which shines in the darkness. And it's people's reactions to this reality that I've been both struck and encouraged by. There's something deeply attractive about the Christian faith when prayer thrives in the midst of difficulty. Our aim should be to live out our faith, not hiding from the difficulties we face, but precisely within those difficulties. This means shifting our perspective from living our lives as though we were the centre of our own stories, to living as though God is the sun around which we each revolve and find our meaning and purpose. Resolve to live our faith in this way, we might find that we agree with Paul's words this morning, but the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. God is no stranger to our aches and pains, our doubts and fears, our shame and sin. Jesus walked among us. He wept with grief and grimaced with pain as God's love for you and I compelled him to die for us upon the cross. This is what we remember when we come to the Eucharist, when we taste the bread, which is his body broken for us. And even as we press our teeth against it and swallow that bread, we take into our very selves a taste of the promise that death, pain and sin is not the end, but that we shall be redeemed, restored and resurrected to live forevermore in the presence of God's love. And so I encourage each of you in your own pilgrim journey through life to always be confident in Christ, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen.